Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management. The only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another episode of FPOG, Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals. This week on the podcast, we're excited to have Brandon O'Neill with us from Fidelity Charitable. We're going to be talking about donor advice funds, charitable giving in general, and where that fits in uh, to an entire wealth management process. Brandon, we're excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much, Justin. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Um, Before we dive into some questions on donor advice funds and how they interact with assets and how they compare to foundations and things like that, give a. I will give our listeners a little bit of context. Um, So Fidelity Charitable runs the largest donor advice fund in the world. Um, I believe it's actually the largest charity period in the world, Um, which that is just so incredible um, and really amazing to think about. Uh, When we think about charitable giving in the financial planning process, uh, we really like to think through a few different things. And so financial planning in general, we always say on this podcast, there's five areas. So there's estate planning, there's insurance, risk management, there is tax planning, uh, there's investment portfolio. Are you? Do you have a good portfolio or not an optimized good portfolio? And then retirement or life planning. Does your money align with your life values and goals? Uh, so charitable giving is a, a really fun topic. It, it does hit on several of those areas of financial planning, uh, but certainly at the top of the list, you know, tax planning is 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 kind of a star of the show there. Um, And so mapping out itemized deductions, understanding uh, both, you know, on a tax ramifications in an individual year basis, as well as if you think about your next 10, 20 years worth of tax returns, donor advice funds can play a critical role in getting a more optimized tax rate there. And then there's also the matter of potential estate taxes and where does charitable giving fit into your estate plan? And so I like to give some of that context to just talk about where this topic fits into the financial planning process. Uh, But Brandon, as we kind of dive in and talk about all things charitable giving, I would love to hear just a little bit about your background and uh, tell us a little bit about your role. Yeah, certainly, Justin. Yeah. So I've been with Fidelity 15 years and 10 of those have been specifically in the charitable gift planning space. I'm both a certified financial planner and a chartered advisor in philanthropy. So I have a specialty focus in philanthropic and gifting strategies. I think one of the questions I get most is, how did you end up here? You know, you you came from this financial planning background. How did you get into the the philanthropic side? And in 2013, my wife at the time and I went um, and volunteered at a soup kitchen in the Dallas area. It was a mobile soup kitchen, which was kind of different. And what I was just amazed by was, Um, how many children were effectively hungry in the Dallas market? And I realized, what am I doing uh, to kind of help alleviate that? And really wanted to, um, you know, use my skills and my my financial planning background to to help in in that need. And as luck would have it, Fidelity Charitable was relocating from their Boston office into the North Texas market and luckily raised my hand and and found myself in the charitable gift planning group 
um, since 2013. That is incredible. Uh, it's been really fun to chat with you and you can see how much passion you have for, for charities in general, but also Texas charities and yeah. how much incredible work and just how much opportunity uh, there is within Texas to help those who need it. Uh, Brandon, I'd love to have you bring us up to speed on what is Fidelity Charitable and bring us up to speed on donor advice funds specifically. Yeah, so Fidelity Charitable, we're an independent 501c3 nonprofit. So we were started in 1991 by the Johnson family to really help grow the American tradition of philanthropy by making a program that was really simple and easy and kind of accessible for our donors. So what happened, uh, the Johnson family was doing some of their own personal foundation work, and they realized that there were some headaches and administrative burdens that come up with foundations from time to time. And so they actually thought, is there a more efficient way to get the kind of benefits that you would get with a private foundation, but strip some of the headache? And that's where donor advised funds came in. So uh, Fidelity Charitable, we were started in 1991. Since 1991, we've become the largest grant-making organization in the United States, so in our 30-year history, our donors have sent over $72 billion to charity. Uh, to kind of wow. give you an idea, last year alone, it was $11 billion that went out the door. So about $34 million every day is going through this program and going out into the hands of nonprofit organizations. And so wow. it's we really kind of, you can think of us, Fidelity Charitable, as a charity who helps support other nonprofits. So that's kind of how that works. I'm happy to, to touch on kind of how donor advice funds operate or function if you'd like. That would be great. That'd be perfect. Yeah. So the, the donor advised funds, the way I like to think about them is they're almost like a like a turnkey foundation or almost like a charitable IRA. And the way I like to describe them is give, grow, and grant. So you can make a tax deductible gift into your donor advised fund. You can gift all kinds of assets, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. You can give cash. We also have the ability to take in illiquid or non-publicly traded assets. So when we take in those assets, because we're a nonprofit, you get your deduction right up front. Once the funds are in the account, they then have the ability to be invested if you'd like. Um, and those assets grow completely and totally tax-free for future philanthropic support. So there's a lot of investment options. Like I said, they grow tax-free. And then the last G is grant. Donors have the ability to make a grant recommendation to a charity of their choice. So they can call us, they can go online. We've even created an app that they can download on their phone that really makes giving effective right there on the spot. The types of organizations that can be supported out of a donor advised fund are think of any charities that you're supporting today that you get 100% tax deduction for. So any 501c3s, religious houses of worship like churches, temples, synagogues, things along those lines. And then the last category that can be granted to are government instrumentalities schools, universities, libraries, hospitals, public parks. Um, but these donor advice funds are really kind of the fastest growing vehicle in the philanthropic sector because of their ease and their kind of the benefits of, of planning how you can capture your deductions. That makes sense. Uh, I am pretty blown away, and I'm sure anyone hearing these numbers is just floored when you talk about the scale of giving that's happening. Did you say $34 million a day? Yeah, $34 million a day, which would roughly be $11 billion for the year last year. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. <laughs> who exactly is giving? So there's a great report that I always like to reference just to kind of to let everyone know how much is being utilized towards philanthropy. And it's the it's uh, 
the U.S. Trust Survey on High Net Worth Philanthropy. And what it shows is that last year alone in, 20, in 2020, uh, 2022, over $499 billion was gifted to charity. That's across all of philanthropy. So just short of a half a trillion dollars is earmarked to giving. Uh, to put that in proper context, that's about 5% of the country's GDP, or pardon me, 2% of the country's GDP that is being allocated wow. towards philanthropy. Um, that doesn't seem like a lot, but when you compare it to kind of the other industrial countries like Canada and Germany, which are like one and two, um, or pardon me, two and three, when you look at the list of who's giving, they're only giving about 1% of their GDP. So as Americans, we're deeply philanthropic. Um, it's almost part of who we are. It's almost in our DNA to give back. And you can really see that in the numbers. And when you peel back the layer of who's actually making the gifts, I think there's a lot of misconception. I think people think corporations or foundations are the big drivers of giving. And what we really see in these numbers is that about almost 70% is going to be through individualized donors. So people like yourselves, like you or me, or the people like our donors, they're the ones who are making that impact in philanthropy. And so it's always kind of fun to, to see kind of this continued growth the year over year and how much is going to charity, knowing that it's being driven by individuals uh, supporting those causes they care about. That is really amazing um, and pretty, pretty incredible to see how much donor advice funds have. I think it's done a few things. I, I think it's made giving a little bit more accessible. I think the opt-in is easier. Uh, some of the some of the obstacles that I think stop people from giving are just, oh man, I got to figure out what's their routing number, what's their account number. Uh, then I've got to go to my bank and I've got to organize, I've got to coordinate this gift. And I think donor advice funds have made uh, getting money from a person, just an mm -hmm. individual into charities. They've made it so much more simple. But then I also think donor advice funds on the back end, man, they have made the tax reporting and, and keeping track of it so much easier. Yeah, um, to get yeah. to get just one tax so statement. It, it, the thing I think that I, I always like to say is it just streamlines your tax reporting in such a way where, you know, if you're typically supporting 10, 15 charities throughout the year, instead of getting those separate tax returns or tax receipts from each of those charities, you just get one from us saying, OK, you made all your big contributions into us. You get your deduction right up front. You get one receipt. Those additional checks, you don't have to worry about keeping track from a deduction standpoint. That is incredible. Um, and Brendan, do you mind sharing, how do you help people think about giving more strategically? If someone's coming to you and they're saying, Brendan, I need some insight, I need some kind of direction. How do you, how do you help them give more strategically? Yeah. So one of the things I always like to do is just uh, take a step back and understand the size of the gift and what they're really looking to do. But I think the most impactful way, and this is going to sound so counterintuitive when I say it, when you support charity, you got to put the checkbook down, especially if you're wanting to make a bigger impact. And so what I usually encourage people to do is look at their most appreciated assets first. So start by looking at um, assets that you might have in your portfolio that have gone up in value that are in non that are not in retirement style accounts. So start by looking at what's the most appreciated asset and using those to fund your philanthropy. And the reason why I say that is if you write a check to charity, assuming you're itemizing, you can deduct that off of your income for the year. Now, if you gift a stock that's worth the same value, so you write a $10,000 check, but you give $10,000 worth of stock, not only do you get that $10,000 deduction, as long as it's a long-term position, you don't have to pay any capital gains tax. 
um, for that asset that you're giving. So what I always like to say to people is convert your capital gain into a charitable gain for the organization. So if you typically write the checks, gift the stock as opposed to the check because you get that double tax savings as opposed to just writing the check. And so I spend a lot of time saying, what is going to be the kind of biggest bang for the buck? Nine times out of 10, it's going to be the stock that they own that's gone up the most in value and use that to fund your philanthropy. Sometimes it's going to be business interests or other types of assets, but really that's what we start by looking at what's going to amplify their impact. That's awesome. Uh, tell us a little bit. You mentioned cash, stock, mm -hmm. business interests. What is the most efficient asset to give? Yeah, I think it's going to be the way I like to look at it is what is going to give you the most efficiency. So if you have something that's got low basis or no basis, that asset is going to be a much better gift than an outright gift of cash. So I always say, think about it from the standpoint of gifting the asset um, that's got the most appreciation, because if you gift the most, those most appreciated assets, the cost to make the gift goes down substantially because of the capital gain savings. Um, so really, it's going to be low basis, so low basis or no basis. So if you inherited a stock that you don't know, or you transferred some stock in from a brokerage account that didn't track that basis, give your tax headache away uh, and use that to amplify your giving. That's awesome. I will uh, use this opportunity kind of a strategic time for us. We've done podcasts in the past couple of years on the topic of NUA, net unrealized appreciation. Um, and so if our listeners, you know, from a large oil and gas company, if they purchase stock inside their 401k 30, 40 years ago, they have this massive gain. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the ways that a, a DAF can be so strategic for them is, you know, they leave their company. And mm -hmm. I think the first thing I'll mention and reiterate from prior episodes is my word executing NUA is like, uh, it's like surgery because the IRS requirements to do it properly are very, very detailed. So it's a transaction that cannot be messed up. It has to be done exactly according to IRS rules. Uh, but then the byproduct of this is you had an asset inside of a workplace pre-tax retirement account, and now it is outside of a retirement account. It is in mm -hmm. a brokerage account, and yep. it's, it's a stock. It's a publicly traded stock with a cost basis and a current market value. Um, the reason why I kind of want to do a commercial for donor advice funds inside this episode that's all about donor advice funds is... <laughs> What you mentioned with, hey, sometimes you don't know the basis and sometimes mm -hmm. you're inheriting stocks. Sometimes you own the stock and you purchased it a long time ago. NUA shares do not get a step up in cost basis. Yep. And so it's really a huge point, especially for the audience that we speak to, uh, because there's often this chunk in your balance sheet where you have this strange IRS categorized stock that's ultra low basis, you've got a huge capital gain. And yeah. normally when you have a huge capital gain, you might be thinking, well, hey, let's own it forever. When I pass away, it'll get a step up in basis. My kids will not have the tax bill. NUA shares do not get a step up in basis. Yeah, Therefore, absolutely. it's really strategic to just pinpoint and say, hey, all of this should go to, to charity or some of it, whatever you're gonna give to charity, that's a really strategic bucket. I think using the... When I think about it, using NUA stock is probably one of the most efficient ways because a couple things happens, right? When you do the NUA transaction, you pull the money out of the IRA and get it into a brokerage, that's a taxable event. 
So many times you're creating an income tax liability that you have, it's a bill that you're going to have to pay. So in that moment, when you find yourself in that higher income year, absolutely, that's the year that you're going to want to actually make those charitable gifts and using an asset that's going to help from a planning perspective is that low basis stock. So it can be a extremely powerful thing to kind of pair those two strategies together in the same year to say, hey, uh, we're going to create a tax liability. Is there any charity you love more than the IRS? You know, is there any charity you love more than the IRS? Because now we can be more planful uh, during that income. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, That was going to be another thing that I called out. So in our first few minutes together, you made a really, really important distinction about donor advised funds. Well, about Fidelity Charitable. It is a 501c3. Mm-hmm. So in the IRS's eyes, this is a charitable entity. And you you coined it exactly. Uh, when you gift an asset to the donor advice fund, that is the moment in time when you get the charitable deduction. And so, you know, you think that's about the, Yeah, when the contribution's think, made, that's when the deduction is... Uh, the deduction is realized on the date of the transfer. So when those assets are transferred into us... Um, you actually get the deduction right up front. That's incredible. And I'm guessing, tell me if this is true, you probably see a lot of families give a chunk in a given year, and that's kind of what they plan to be. They're giving for the next decade. Yeah, we see that a lot where people are front-loading their gifting. So anytime that they find themselves in a, in a higher-than-normal income year, they're doing Roth conversions or getting big equity awards, you know, those big, big, uh, liquidity events or when we see people funding their accounts for uh, a, a fairly long time. So they'll load it up, they'll put all their giving, they'll give 10 years worth of giving right up front, and then they'll um, make the contributions over time. And that's, yeah, that's incredible. Uh, you think about the typical arc trajectory of someone retiring, oftentimes you're in your highest income earning yep. years at the end of your career, and then you're going to retire. Your income's going to be ultra low before you turn 70, 73, 74, and you have Social Security, IRA, RMD income. Um, So that that makes a lot of sense. Can you just spell out, walk us through this process of making a gift of, let's say, ExxonMobil or Chevron or any company stock into a DAF? Absolutely. So the account opening process is extremely easy to do. So um, online, there's a. It takes less than five minutes to open and establish a donor advice fund, so that account gets set up. Once the account is set up and ready to roll, it's a simple process of doing a DTC transfer of the stock directly into the account. Once the stock hits our account, it gets sold, uh, and then it has the ability to be invested in various different investment options. So we've got 27 investment pools as kind of our standard offering. So you've got everything from very conservative, like money market style funds. So if you want to treat it like a charitable checking account, that's an option, all the way to more growth and aggressive growth style funds. There are both fidelity and non-fidelity funds in there as well. So you have a selection of funds that you can choose from. But I think the exciting part is, is once everything's in there, when does the fun stuff start? When do we start making the checks out to the charity? You know, once those funds hit the account after three days of settlement, you can start making grant checks, uh, you know, within a week and you start sending money out into the hands of those organizations fairly quickly. Incredible. Uh, Are there any kind of unique gift planning ideas or some of the more obscure, complex things that you've seen? Yeah, I think the the one I see a lot that's not donor advice fund related, uh, but I see a lot of 
uh, people kind of in the oil and gas sector utilizing as a charitable remainder trust. So this doesn't benefit, you know, we don't you we don't have one of these, but a charitable remainder trust is a split interest giving vehicle. So what I mean by that is you're splitting the gift between the charity and yourself, like uh, the interest between the charity and yourself. So this trust is going to pay income for you or your spouse for the remainder of your life or whoever you have as the trustee payout. And it's going to pay income throughout those years to you. And then after a set number of years or whenever you pass away, whatever is left in the trust then goes to charity. Uh, we see a lot of people using highly appreciated like oil and gas stock because when the trust sells it, the trust isn't subject to the capital gains. The trust, when it pays out, that's when those uh, taxes are due. So we've seen a lot of people be planful to, to dump their stock in there. They sell it. The trust isn't subject to the tax liability until it starts paying it out over time. So if you think about it from a planning perspective, you're deferring that tax bill over many, many, many years instead of paying it all in one year. So that might be something creative that uh, might resonate with with your audience. That's awesome. Very cool. And, you know, you did mention that donor advice funds have kind of been this way to bring almost bring foundations to everyone. Uh, but I'd love to hear just a little bit. How is a donor advice fund different than a foundation? What are some of the pros and cons there? Yeah. So the one thing I'd say is private foundations sit in a different area of tax code. Um, so a couple things that make them different is the foundation has less of a deductive value for the assets you contribute into them. So if I gift stock or cash into a donor advice fund for cash, I can deduct up to 60% of my income. For securities, I can deduct up to 30% of my income to a donor advice fund. A foundation, on the other hand, is 30-20. So if I wanted to give to a foundation, I can only deduct 30% for cash, 20% for security. So you get less of a deductive value because you have more control in those foundations. The thing I would say about a foundation is they require a lot of work to set up and administer. So usually you work with an attorney to basically draft up the the foundation documents, whether they're in corporate or trust form. And that foundation then has to do mandatory payout requirements. You have to pay out 5% every year to the various different charities. You list on the 990 who's on the board, who's taking a salary on the foundation. But I think more importantly, especially for the families we've seen, anonymity has become much more of an interest for people. And so uh, one of the things with a foundation, that 990 is searchable in public records. So a lot of families who are wanting to do their giving don't necessarily want to put that out there. So a private foundation has that requirement. Donor advised funds do not have that 990 requirement. So it's not subject to public review. So we've seen a lot of families who've had foundations and said, I don't like that my information's out there and they make the transition. I think the real thing, the big difference that I would say, the difference between a foundation and a donor advised fund is do you want a second career in philanthropy? If you want to go all in and do all the work, foundation might be the right solution for what you're looking to do. But most people want to just do checkbook giving. And I think that's where most people think foundations are is like I sit down and write a check to XYZ organization. You don't have to set up a traditional foundation to do that anymore. A donor advised fund is going to be a much more suitable option. That's pretty fascinating. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but my impression is this. Um, even families with $500 million, $5 billion, so, mm-hmm. so very, very wealthy families, yep. even many of them 
like the simplicity of DAFs over foundations. Would you would you kind of agree with that? Yeah, for some of them, we work with many families who are kind of in that category, and many of them, it's not a it's not a either or; it's an and. They will have yeah. a foundation and a donor advice fund to do kind of different goals. Um, but many times after they start seeing the administrative ease, they start questioning why they have the big expensive foundation. Um, but for those bigger, higher net worth people, we'll see them both because they can they both work great together in concert. But I think sometimes people say, well, what are we doing all this work over here for if, if we can do it uh, on in the donor advice fund side? Yeah. And that's been a topic that we've had to kind of dig our teeth into in, in some cases is just there's a foundation that already exists. But mm-hmm. when a foundation already exists, you, you've got to administer it. It's, it. It doesn't just run on autopilot. That's correct. And does it make sense to transition to something easier and a little more private anonymous? You know, one other thing that I've loved in my wife and I have a donor advice fund uh, is, is that it's pretty cool that every single grant that you give, you get to decide whether your wh- whether it shows up to the charity who gave this or whether it's anonymous. Yeah. And so yeah. the ease at which you give out grants and the control and what the recipient sees, it's it's incredible. Yeah, that's one of the I forgot to mention that. That's the big difference as well between the foundation and the DAF is the ability to do anonymous grant making. Uh, you can be as anonymous as you like. So that's what I like to say is if you want to get recognition and have your name, absolutely you can send a check with your name and address and you'll get those thank you letters and all those things. You'll get in, in, invited for all those charity galas and things like that. Um, if you want to do more anonymous grant making, that's a, a, a capability as well. So we have a lot of donors who will say, send it. And I don't want my, I don't, I don't want the recognition at all. And those are the ones that are kind of fun to hear for the reasonings why they might, they want, might not want to be recognized. Yeah, that is really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, one last question as we wrap up, I am guessing that a lot of our listeners are wondering Well, I've got this church here or this nonprofit here, this charitable institution Mm -hmm. here. How do I know, how do I verify that this particular charity will be on the Fidelity DAF platform? The easiest way to check it out, um, if you're looking for a charity specifically, is to go into our demo on our website. So there's a demo at the top right-hand corner. You log into the demo and you can just type in the name of your favorite charity. And if it's in there, it's available for active grant making. So we've got about 300, almost 400,000 charities already in the system and ready to be granted to. Now, if that charity is not in the system, it's very easy for our team to reach out to the nonprofit, get their determination letter and add them into the system. Um, But very easy, that's the quickest way to say, hey, is this organization able to grant to? Um, It would be through our demo. Awesome, that's really helpful. Yeah, Brandon, this has been great. Really appreciate your time. Uh, if any of our listeners want to connect with you, find you, where's the best way to do that? Yeah, I think the easiest way is uh, LinkedIn nowadays. So I've, if someone wants to book a meeting, there's a meeting and, uh, availability up there. or You can call me or email me. All that information's on LinkedIn. And one thing I always just like to say, Justin, is for those of you or for those of the listeners who are actively engaged in philanthropy, I always like to share a heartfelt thank you. Um, early on in my life, my family benefited from the kindness of strangers we never met or knew. It changed the arc of our lives. So for me, philanthropy is not just a job, it's really a calling. So if there's anything I can do to help expand your understanding on how to give more efficiently or make a bigger impact for those organizations, please don't hesitate to reach out to me or my team. We're happy to be a resource for you. 
That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. And uh, this is a topic we've been wanting to do an episode on for a while. So really glad we were able to cover it. If you have ideas for future topics, feel free to get in touch with us, email or find us on social media. And we look forward to chatting next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.